The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... So by kindergarten, I could check my blood sugars on my own. And then by first grade, I could give my own injections. Obviously, a little supervision, you know, um, just to make sure I was hitting the right spot and like drawing up the right amount. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast with myself, Owen Costello. I hope you all had a fantastic week. I hope you are continuing to have a fantastic week. And this episode, I have a special guest, somebody who is in California in the US right now. She is a fellow type 1 diabetic. She was diagnosed at the age of three. She is an avid diabetes advocate, a public speaker, this is going to go on for a while. <laughs> Currently studying to become a nurse. She is a writer slash blogger and her blog is Showing Life Who's Boss. She majored in behavioral cognitive neuroscience. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. She is the co-host of the Glucose Squad with David Mina. David was on an episode a few weeks back, which is a weekly type 1 diabetes program. She is also the co-host of another diabetic podcast called a dose of caffeinated bs miss basma adams thanks so much for coming on thank you for having me wow that you definitely did your research yeah you know what i was i I was doing my research before this episode and i was like oh she does this that's pretty cool she does that she does that that's cool that's cool these are all things i can touch on and it just wouldn't stop it's just more and more and more so i was thinking where do you find the time to do all these things i it's so funny i get that asked a lot like I get asked that a lot and I'm just like my mother the busier I am the happier I am so I usually have five million things on my plate I don't know necessarily how I find the time to do it to be completely honest however I feel that if I'm doing something that I'm truly passionate about I just find the time like I make time for that thing so if I take something on then you know I'm serious about it because I will find the time to do it you make the times for things that you love. That's the way it goes. Listen, before we jump into what you're up to now, I wanted to hear a bit of your diagnosis story, if you don't mind. 
because I know it's very different to mine in terms of the age you were. I was 19, you were only three. So obviously that's going to have different effects on us. You grew up with diabetes. I grew up without it. So what were the circumstances surrounding your diagnosis? How did your parents know there was something wrong? Yeah. So I was showing all the classic symptoms. I was super thirsty. I was chugging water, like chugging water. I would just cry for water and that was it. And my mom would have to hand it to me. I was not eating. My appetite had diminished. I was refusing to eat anything. And my mom tells me that she would like call my dad crying. Like she doesn't want to eat. She just wants to drink water. I don't know what's wrong. Obviously mom's intuition, she knew something was definitely happening. And then obviously I was using the bathroom too much. My energy levels had just dissipated. I was just wanting to nap and like lay down, which me as a kid, like I was always playing. I was always running around. So she took me to the doctor and unfortunately the doctor was like, oh no, this happens. Like kids her age usually go through like some kind of growth phase in their life where, you know, things just change. And she like brought me home. I wasn't getting any better. And she's like, there is something wrong with her. So it happened to be that they took me to the ER, the emergency room. And that night I had passed out. And so that week of when they took me to the ER, I was in a coma for about 36 hours. And Mm -hmm. the doctor gave them like 12, you know, well, 36 hours, a couple days, like a day and a half into my coma, the doctor turned to my parents and were like, she has 12 more hours. And if she wakes up before then, you know, we can figure out what's going on and it, you know, she'd be able to live. But if she passes the 12 hour mark, it's probably just too late. So thankfully I'm here. So I woke up, but it was definitely emotional because I'm the only child. So my parents were freaking out. I mean, it runs in my dad's side of the family generations, but it had never shown itself up again until I was diagnosed with it. So it's not like my parents really knew technically what to look for. And the fact that they just weren't expecting it at all. Wow. That's insane. I didn't realize you had had actually gone into a coma. Yeah. Do you remember any of that? Because I know obviously you were a lot younger. Yeah. At the age of three. What do you remember? I... I have like, obviously my parents have told me about it. I have pictures. I think the only thing that I truly remember was waking up. And I remember waking up and and looking for my mom's hand. I hadn't opened my eyes completely just yet, but I was starting to move. And um, I remember now I know people have this thing where they're like, oh, can people in comas like actually hear? Like, do they know what's going on around them? And I remember waking up and looking for my mom and I go, mommy, I'm not going to die. Don't worry. And I, my mom tells me how the doctors, when they had heard that, just like started looking at each other and everybody in the room started crying. And my mom was like one hot mess. But I do remember that part. And I remember squeezing her hand, like just trying to look for her. So I obviously I remember waking up and then I remember everything after that, because that's just when my life had changed. I don't remember anything leading up to it necessarily per se. Like I don't remember, you know, the, the details of going through being thirsty and not having energy, but I remember waking up and then I remember everything after that. Did your parents or do your parents kind of 
talk to you about this at all in terms of what they were thinking or how oh. they knew something was wrong or yeah. how they knew something was up? Do they talk about it now? Because obviously you're such a proud and outspoken diabetic. Obviously, they weren't thinking something like that at the time. Mm-mm. So how are they now with your diabetes? Um, I'm thankful for my parents. I mean, my parents are like my best friends. I love them to death. They've sacrificed so much for me, not just diabetes wise, but especially diabetes wise. My dad, obviously that was like one of the toughest times for him. And as a father, you know, you know, you don't want to see your child go through that. And he's such a hard worker. He works so hard to make sure that, you know, I have money to like cover all of my diabetes supplies and there's insurance to cover me and like everything like that. And I've talked more so with my mom about the actual details of it. And I try not to talk to her too much about it because I know she starts crying just from the beginning. um, Like it just happened yesterday. So I know my parents haven't forgotten it. Um, And I know like there are certain points, like if I'm really low, that that fear comes over their face again and I can see it. Even though I am 23, I've dealt with this my whole life. I know what to do at this point. When I go low, I see that in their eyes. Like it's just that fear all over again. And, you know, they like, won't leave me. And they're like, are you okay? Do you need juice? It's funny. Cause my dad will be like, eat, eat, drink, drink. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I am. We got to give it some time. But a couple months ago, I was watching a movie with my mom and I hit the fifties. It was like one of those sudden lows where you, you don't really see it coming. And she like, couldn't stop staring at me. She's like, are you okay? Like, can I get you more juice? And I was like, no, I'm fine. Like, I just kind of got to ride it out. You know, that um, period after you go low, where you mm. feel low, even though technically you're starting to rise. Yeah. So like, I Big couldn't time. like shake <laughs> that feeling off. And I was like feeling just really lousy. And I was just laying there and, and she just, she was quiet, but she was just staring at me the whole time. And I almost felt bad. I was like, this is why I don't like to show my lows to my parents too often because I don't want them to worry so much. It's that constant, like almost guilt in a way. It's like they've dealt with this. They're almost, you know, like half of their life because I've dealt with it my whole life and I don't ever want them to have to go through that again. So it's this very fine line. Like I know they worry about me constantly, but I try to take the brunt of it so that they don't have to. Did you grow up, well, you obviously did grow up with your parents learning about diabetes before you did because you were so young. Oh, yeah. So you grew up with, I'm presuming that your parents would check your blood sugar and inject you mm-hmm. and go through all those sort of routines that we have to know every yeah. day. But at what age did you kind of take the reins in terms of your diabetes management with, you know, taking your injections, yeah. checking your blood sugar? understanding about how foods will affect you? So I was diagnosed when I was three. And for the first three years after that, my mom would basically sleep in my bed with me because she would check my blood sugar every hour at the hour mark through the night um, because she was just, there was no Dexcom back then. Mm. And I was still getting a feel of when to tell her I felt low. I'm very thankful that I am cognizant of all of my lows However, I was still learning that. So she wasn't too confident in me being able to wake up in the middle of the night and tell her that. So she would just check them and check me every hour. When I turned five, my endocrinologist actually told us about a diabetes camp 
for young kids as well as teenagers. And it was a day camp for a week. And my mom was hesitant about letting me go because it was the first time she was ever really letting me out of her sight with diabetes. But he promised her that it would be an amazing experience. I can for sure tell you that that camp changed my life because I, at that point in my life, thought I was the only person in the whole world with diabetes. How do you really explain it to a five-year-old? You know, like there are other people just like you. It doesn't really sink in. So when I went to camp, I was looking at all these kids like my age, a little younger, way older. And I was like, oh, my God, like I'm not the only one. I remember telling my mom that at the end of the first day, I I, like ran up to her and I was so excited. And so it was at camp that I actually started to learn how to check my own blood sugars. So by kindergarten, I could check my blood sugars on my own. And then by first grade, I could give my own injections. Obviously, a little supervision, you know. Um, just to make sure I was hitting the right spot and like drawing up the right amount. But by the end of first grade, I could definitely give my own injections. More so into elementary school that I started to learn like how food interacted with that, how to carb count specifically, what foods I knew that I didn't have to bolus for, what foods I did have to bolus for. I mean, it was amazing because my mom studied nutrition. So there was a lot of stuff at home that she helped me with in understanding how to manage that all with diabetes. I suppose that definitely helped you out because even for me nowadays, I will look at food as if it's another form of medication. And Austin first, you know him from Instagram, do you? Yeah. Everyday type one. He was on the podcast a few episodes ago and he made a comment that resonated with me, how he said, he doesn't look at a plate of food and see the food. Mm-hmm. He said he looks at the food and sees carbs. this amount of carbs, yeah. this fat, yeah. this protein. How is this going to affect my blood sugar? So it's he r- would rarely look at it as a meal. It's like fuel for his body yeah. and how it will affect his blood sugar. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, when I look at a plate, obviously, the first thing I think about is how much do I have to bolus for this? Or when I sit down to eat, I'm like, oh, well, did I, did I pre-bolus? Do I need to pre-bolus? How much should I pre-bolus? Like, it's, it's funny because I was thinking about this the other day, but people who are on pumps think in the terms of carbs because, you know, that's usually what they input into their pump and then their pump does the math. And then people that use multiple daily injections, we think in the terms of units. When you look at a banana, you're usually not like, oh, carbs, and then let me, you know, denote that into units. I look at things and I'm like, oh, that's one unit. Or no, I know that usually gives me like, I need a bolus five units for it. So for me, it's even, it's the same thing as Austin said, but almost in a different form, it's units. That's all I think about now. I don't know, because I know you're multiple daily injections. I don't know if you think. Yeah, in the I'm the same with that. Okay. I will look at it. I will, I'm, I'm the same as you. I will look at it in terms of just what do I need for this? How is it going to affect me? Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it is. It's like you don't even, you don't look at it really as an enjoy. Of course, I enjoy my food and I always eat a lot of food, which is great. Right. But the first thing, that automatic response is kind of, how is this going to impact my blood sugar? Mm-hmm. Basma, I have a quote from you here. Like I said, before, <laughs> before I started recording, I have loads of quotes from you. So, 
this is one that that really jumped out and it's i think it was from your blog but it says i believe everyone is an advocate we all have something we are so incredibly passionate about and could talk for hours about to anyone who would listen i never knew that being someone who loved talking about my own experiences with type 1 diabetes was called something so i guess i had been advocating since middle school when did you make the shift from growing up with with diabetes having to look after yourself your parents obviously having to look after you too when did you make that shift from just looking after yourself to promoting a healthy happy life with diabetes to other people I would say it was at a certain age so 16 is when I would say I made the switch and that was because I had gotten the position to be the National Youth Advocate for the American Diabetes Association. That entailed traveling the U.S. with my mom since I was still a minor and, you know, going to camps and going to committee meetings and going to Congress. And I realized I love talking about it, you know, when it comes to family and and just advocating for myself. I've got to be comfortable doing that for others as well. And so that was kind of the shift when I stopped just thinking about how diabetes affected me and my life and more so advocating for others and like thousands of others. So that was definitely the shift when I became, became an advocate, if you want to, you know, put it into to easy terms. But I think my whole life was leading up to that point because I used to be so shy about diabetes and I used to not want anyone to know. I mean, nobody did know before I got this position I hadn't told like my close best friends in school. And looking back now, it's I realized that's because I never wanted to be labeled as the girl with diabetes. That was what scared me the most. And I kind of just had to work within my own journey of, you know, the anger and the frustration and the burnout. And then finally realizing that being a person living with diabetes isn't a bad thing. It sets you apart. And so what can I do to help other people feel confident? Because I know that I wasn't confident about it at first. So it's kind of just helping others with the same experience that I had. You say you weren't confident about it at first. Recently, and I suppose quite often, I get messages from people through Instagram or email saying that they've either just been diagnosed or they've had it for a number of years and they're not comfortable telling their friends or they're not comfortable even speaking about it to their family. From someone who was initially not as confident as you you are now about your diabetes, what would you say to those people that could be listening, you know, if they're shy or afraid to tell people or almost ashamed of having diabetes? I think it first helps to pinpoint exactly why you're afraid. So using myself as an example, it was the label that that scared me. And realizing it was me being labeled that scared me, I had to be okay in knowing that labels don't define you as a person. You could be labeled as the brunette. You could be labeled as the gym guy. You could be labeled as so many other things. So why is it that being labeled as someone who lives with diabetes is suddenly the be-all, end-all? So once I realized that it was a label that annoyed me, I just had to think of other ways that I was okay with people labeling me. I'm fine with being labeled as an advocate. I'm fine with being labeled as a public speaker, as a writer, as like all these other things. So I just incorporated my life with diabetes into each of these other labels that I much more preferred. 
So if you're feeling shy about diabetes, just realize that you may not know the impact that you have on someone else. And you may never know how much you've helped someone. But I assure you at the end of the day, I'm sure you'd have at least reached one person and made them feel more comfortable about speaking out about their diabetes. So it's kind of just this like long line of of effect that you could have. It's like a snowball effect. It's definitely something you learn over time too when you initially kind of get over yeah. you said yourself that fear and your confidence within the condition builds around it. Absolutely. You the way I see it is you have to go through your journey. So although I never shared it for almost 10, 13 years of my life with diabetes at first, I had to go through that journey of being really afraid of sharing it so that now in my life, I'm so outspoken. So you can't rush it. You can't just wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm so ready to share with the rest of the world that I have diabetes. Just give yourself time and patience. And it almost helps if you like write down some note cards about like, oh, if I were to meet someone and they asked about diabetes, what would I say? That's kind of what I did in the beginning, you know, um, dealing with like telling my friends. And then it just gets easier because you kind of know what to say. It's like little training wheels on a bike. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. There's something that I hear a lot echo through the diabetes community online and other people that we know. And it's that they don't really know what they would do if they didn't have diabetes mm -hmm. and I'm the same. I recently had a conversation with my dad and we were talking about going in and having meetings with your, your endo or your doctors or your nurses mm -hmm. about your diabetes. And I was touching on how sometimes they don't fully understand what you can go through on a daily basis. And, yeah. and throughout this conversation, he, well, he asked me at the end, he said, do I think that if I was diagnosed earlier in life, would I have become a doctor. Now, I definitely wouldn't have worked that wouldn't have worked that hard in school to, be, to become a doctor. But when I was growing up, I did a lot of things, but I never really knew what I wanted to do. Right. And since being diagnosed with diabetes, I'm like, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what I want to do. I want to do something with diabetes, you know. So, and you seem that way too. Everything you do is almost based around diabetes. Yeah. So. Do you think that you being diabetic from such a young age played a part in you deciding to become a nurse? 100%. So what I like to say is diabetes is part of me, but it's not all of me. So while basically 90% of my experiences are probably going to be somehow diabetes related, there's, you know, that 10% of things that I love that have nothing to do with diabetes. However, I learned really quickly that Diabetes is a factor in just about every decision I make, and I'm sure you can agree with that. We go through our days, and most times out of all of those decisions we make, we're thinking about diabetes first. I remember when I was five years old, I was in kindergarten, and the teacher was going around. She was kind of asking us, like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like career week or, or whatever that is. And my mom was um, a parent volunteer that week, so she was in the back of the classroom she wasn't next to me, but apparently um, the teacher had like told her what I said after her class. But I remember looking at my teacher and I was like, oh, I really want to help people when I'm older. So I want to be a doctor. And my whole basis was just because I wanted to help people feel better. 
So the teacher told my mom at the end of class. And so my mom and I had a conversation about it going home. She's like, well, why do you want to be a doctor? And I was like, well, I just want to help people feel better because I, I have diabetes. So if I can just help people feel better, then, you know, that's what I want to do. Obviously in like five-year-old layman terms. But ever since then, I <laughs> not as articulate, right? I, obviously, I wasn't as uh, as well <laughs> back then. But ever since then, I knew that I wanted to go into healthcare because, at the basis of it all, if I could help someone get through a really, really bad time in their life, then I'm happy with what. However, I could have lended a hand in that. So I didn't know for sure what it was going to be. Obviously, I was pre med my whole high school and college career. And then I just realized after, you know, being in the hospital myself from past experiences that when you're there, your nurse is your lifeline. Like that person is with you, you know, when you're throwing up and you're in DKA or when, you know, you're just your blood sugars aren't going down or they're super low and she comes and treats you with some glucose. So I realized I wanted to be there for the good and the bad and especially the bad because I have my fair share experience of being in, you know, times of my life where diabetes really didn't treat me well. So that's kind of how I came to the basis of wanting to go down the nursing route and hopefully one day into the nurse practitioner route. But I wouldn't say I ever knew like exactly what it was I wanted in the healthcare field. I just knew somehow I would end up there. I wanted to ask you also, and I know we had briefly spoken about it again before uh, before I pressed record, but stress is a big thing with diabetes as we both know stress is a big thing for normal people even if you don't have diabetes but obviously for us it's particularly difficult and frustrating at times because for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what impact stress has on your blood sugar basically when you're stressed you know these stress hormones cortisol adrenaline are being released these hormones cause your blood sugar to rise flight or fight response etc etc so your blood sugar goes up 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 mm-hmm. with all your public speaking and everything that you do within the diabetes world would you ever have got stressed prior to speaking at an event or a meeting where you're kind of like, oh god you know I'm, you're super nervous super stressed and you see that blood sugar rise and you see that vicious circle and that that mm-hmm. cycle that we had been talking about these do, do you see that still when you speak now? So I think the the way that I knew public speaking was for me was because I never, I never felt nervous beforehand. I always felt this overwhelming excitement, kind of like you wake up on a holiday and you're about to like burst because you're just so excited. So I'd always feel that. However, obviously, as you know, adrenaline can still do the same thing and it still, you know, rises your blood sugar. It's just with everything else in diabetes, I had to learn what kept happening and what I could do to solve it. So yes, I've had quite many speeches where I'm definitely high. Um, So I just started to kind of like have this like pre-speech routine where I'd like look at my blood sugar an hour before, you know, make sure I had something to eat, not be too carby, but at the same time, you know, have some protein in there. Then like 30 minutes before, do I need to like give a unit or two units before I go up there? It's kind of just like figuring out what works for me. Now, have I given speeches when I'm like sky high? Yes, I have. 
does it, <laughs> you know, mess with my concentration a little bit? In a way, yes, it definitely does. You know, you're not exactly all there. However, I don't know. I almost, when I'm up there giving a speech, and even though I'm speaking about diabetes, I try to forget the technicalities of diabetes in the meantime, because I really want to make sure that what I'm talking about is illustrated well, you know, and I'm able to connect to people. While diabetes has a play in how I am able to connect with people when I'm up on that stage, at the same time, I try not to think too much about it. Because if I'm just thinking about how high my blood sugar is at that time, I'm not really in the present and I'm not really doing the best job that I can be at the same time. So it's like this fine line with everything in life where you got to think about your diabetes, but you also can't let it affect your whole mind or else you're just really not doing what you could be doing. Like you're, you're not, you're not giving your effort as you should be. So it's like a teeter totter. Absolutely. And I've touched on it a few times in previous episodes here where because type one diabetes is something that you don't get a break from it's Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day when you're asleep, job interview, first date, whatever you're doing, it's there. And I always, I refer to it sometimes as, like somebody sitting on your shoulder yeah you have to have a good relationship with that person otherwise they're going to be like the angel bad devil kind of thing absolutely yeah big time so it's like if you don't have a good relationship with diabetes on your shoulder it's going to be nagging at you it's going to be shouting at you it's going to be in your ear so it's important that you can understand yes this is something that you know is with me unfortunately 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. but based on how I act with it, how my relationship is with it. Everything will be fine. Just like you said, you need to think about it, but don't let it stop you from being at your best, which is great to hear. I wanted to finish with a question that I like to finish with usually. Finish on a positive note, keep things positive. So my final question to you, Basma, is if you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something, what would that be? Now, You've probably answered this about 10 times already. So you can Um, still answer it. (laughs) No, honestly, what I wanted to say was I would thank it for so much. I kind of wouldn't know where to start. I, there's so much that I wouldn't, I don't think I would be doing right now in my life if it weren't for diabetes. There are so many people that wouldn't have come into my life, friendships that I wouldn't hold so dearly to my heart. If it weren't for diabetes, opportunities and experiences that have shaped me into the person I am, if it weren't for diabetes, if I had to pinpoint exactly one thing to thank it for. To put you on the spot. I know. It's really hard. (laughs) Okay. I would thank diabetes for, okay, this is going to be really general, but I would thank it for the life I've had, I've lived so far. And this kind of encompasses everything that I already said is that I've lived this life that I'm very thankful for. And yes, I've had my ups and my downs, but at the end of the day, I am the person I am today. I'm confident in who I am with and without my diabetes because of the fact that I've had to go through so many experiences where diabetes really, really made me stop and think, is this how I want to live the rest of my life with anger and resentment towards something that I had no control over? And that's not how I want to live my life. That's not how I ever want to live my life. 
So I just realized that I've got to kind of put on my big girl pants and whatever diabetes hands me, I'm going to turn it into lemonade, so to speak. That's something Dave likes to say a lot. But I've just got to kind of look at the positive. So a simple fact is that I wouldn't be on your podcast today if I didn't have diabetes. Simple as that. It's all worth it because of that. It's all worth it for that. Simple as that. But like things like that, you know, where I wouldn't have the chance to meet such awesome people in the community or be able to even speak in the community if I didn't have diabetes. So I'm pretty thankful for that. I love it. Beautifully put. Thank you. Plasma. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for and having me. good to catch up. I will chat to you soon. Have a good night. Sounds good. And for the rest of you, as always, thanks so much for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Some of the feedback and the comments I've been getting about the podcast really, really mean a lot. And it's fantastic to hear that so many of you are enjoying it and benefiting from it. So it means a lot. Have a great week. Have a great rest of your day, whatever you're up to right now, and I will chat to you soon. Take it easy.